My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, this is John Hemminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. Do you consider yourself to be a good person? That's a loaded question, isn't it? Most of us would like to think of ourselves as good people, but the question also needs to be asked, what do you mean by the term good? That is, am I comparing my goodness to my fellow man and the basic morals of this generation, or am I comparing my goodness to God and his moral standards? In this week's study of another message that Jesus himself preached during his ministry on earth, Pastor Jones will be examining Christ's parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This story graphically illustrates some of the major problems with self-righteousness and the need that we all have to humble ourselves before God if we're going to be saved. I pray that you'll listen to this powerful story of Jesus called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Well, it's great to be with you again today for another Beacon of Hope broadcast. And um, I'm going to start out by asking you a question. It's hypothetical. It's not going to actually happen, but it is a good diagnostic question. And that is this. If you stood before God, let's say you died um, today, and you stood before God tonight, and the Lord said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Let you think about that for a moment. God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? Well, you know, there's a lot of, there's uh, some people would say, well, I, I don't even know what I would say. And I would just in, encourage you um, to especially listen today if you really have no idea what you tell the Lord. Others of you would say, well, I would, I would tell him something like this. Well, I, you know, I've, I've always tried to be good to my neighbor. Uh, I've never tried to hurt anyone. Um, I've never, you know, killed anybody, done anything all that bad, and and I've, I think I've been a, a pretty good person, uh, something along that line. And uh, again, if you would have answered in that type of direction, based upon your goodness, either what you have not done or what you have done, or a combination of the two, uh, you need to also listen very carefully to this parable that Jesus is going to share with us today, and then. Um, there would be others of you that would answer uh, differently, and I'll come to that answer hopefully at the end of our time together. But I want you to notice, I, I'm in Luke chapter 18. I, we're actually in the middle of a, of, a, of a message we've been doing for a number of weeks now, the messages that Jesus himself actually preached during his public ministry. These are uh, recorded in the New Testament, uh, not in any kind of a specific order. So you have to look through the Gospels, and I've categorized um, a number of them. I would say 40-some different messages that Jesus uh, gave uh, in different contexts. And this one, we're kind of halfway through it. He'd been talking in the first part of the message um, on the, uh, the, uh, the parable of the unjust judge. And if you remember... Uh, there was a uh, Luke tells us the reason why Jesus gave this the parable of the unjust judge. It says he spoke this parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart, and so um, uh, that obviously was the reason to encouraging us to pray and not give up. And then he used this character of an unjust judge who doesn't fear God, which means he has no concern about real moral right and wrong. He doesn't care about his fellow man, which makes him a double 
um, a dangerous person because he's not really concerned about whether things are just or unjust. He really doesn't care about his fellow man. And he's got this widow in the community who has something that went on where she needs justice. And she's asking for vengeance upon her enemy, her adversary. Now, whether it be a person who was treating her unjustly um, as a widow, maybe somebody that took her husband's life. But in any regard, she she is coming to this uh, judge who doesn't care about right and wrong, and he doesn't care about people, and she's asking him for help. And the judge uh, doesn't give it to her right away, but because she wouldn't stop pestering him, she comes back again and again and again, and how the Lord put it, he says, um, he said he would not for a while, would not give her justice for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And so the the, the woman's example of persistence uh, with this unjust judge is an example of persistence in prayer, obviously. And then... Um, uh, the Lord says now, he gives us uh, the purpose of the parable, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth, or will he find this type of faith on the earth? And so the point of that parable is that God is not an unjust judge. He does care about right and wrong. He's God himself. He made people. He cares about us and the issues that we're facing and the injustices that we face. And so since he is God and he created us, he cares about us, then we ought to have confidence, great confidence, that God will hear our prayers of justice. Now, he does say he may bear long with us. The idea is he may not answer our prayers right away in a timely manner, at least as we would view it, but he will answer, and when he does so, he will deal with things speedily. And so that was the first part of this message, um, directed specifically toward encouraging uh, those who are truly children of God to uh, pray in faith and not give up. Now, the second parable that we're coming to today is called the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, or the Pharisee and the tax collector. And this is in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And uh, again, Jesus will give us another parable, and and Luke will tell us exactly why he tells it. And so I'm just going to read verse 9, and then we're going to ask God's blessing upon his word. It says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And so before we get started, let's pray. Father, we ask for grace and guidance as we look into your word. Give us understanding of it. Lord, help us, for again, this parable will challenge us uh, on the realities of our faith, um, it is a parable that our Savior has given us to specifically challenge those who think they are righteous and look down on other people. And so we ask that we'll take this to heart, that we'll understand the depth of this of this important story. We ask this for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, uh, again, you, we gave you that question, if you stood before God, what would you tell him? Well, Jesus is specifically addressing the the people who would say, well, God, I've never hurt anybody. I've been a good person. I've done this. I've done that. I've taken pies to my neighbor. I've done, uh, you know, I've always tried to treat people well. Um, He's saying, uh, those of you that trust that you are righteous, this parable is for you. Now, um, why might we be tempted to think that we're righteous people? 
Because honestly, what the scripture tells us is there is none righteous, no, not one. That word righteous has the idea of being right with God or, or, or achieving his standard of, of morality. And yet the Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. That's found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Um, and so why, why would we um, uh, trust that we're righteous when God has clearly said in his word that we're not. Well, one of the problems is that we, uh, first of all, don't know what God's word says. If you've never read the Bible, or maybe you've tried it some, you say, boy, I just don't, I don't get a lot out of it when I read it. Uh, be glad to try to help you on that. There are some, some, um, resources that you can get um, on, in the uh, in a bookstore online that might help you with understanding the scripture. I will tell you that um, uh, the Bible is a wonderful book, um, and it, it is not too hard to understand, um, but it does take spiritual discernment. The Bible says that the Bible, uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, is spiritually discerned. And so you do need to pray and ask God, give me understanding of this. And, and it's not merely an intellectual thing. But uh, maybe why why is it then we'd be tempted to think we're righteous? Well, some people don't know that God says in reality we're not. Other people would think, um, well, I, I, I compare myself to other people. Maybe we'd say, well, I go to church, and I go to church, you know, maybe several times a week. And um, so I, I, I'm a good church-going people, a person. Everybody tells me that I'm a good person. Uh, so maybe, uh, and I'm involved. Maybe you, maybe you're involved in a soup kitchen, or you're doing um, some other type of work at the church. Maybe you're a, a janitor of the church, or you do volunteer work, or maybe you do something for the hospital or the or the fire department. Maybe you're part of an auxiliary or, or whatever it is, and you're you're active in the community. You're a very helpful person. And so you're tempted to think, well, I must be righteous. I'm, I'm involved in church attendance or I'm involved in, in community outreach and helpfulness. Other people would say, well, I'm, I'm going to heaven because I'm, I'm a certain denomination. Um, again, I'm a Baptist. Uh, that does not make me a Christian. There's a lot of Baptists, tragically, that are going to be in hell one day. Uh, other people would say, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm a Methodist. I'm a Catholic. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And, and certainly that should get me a leg into heaven. And the reality is your your denomination is not going to save you and your church isn't going to save you and your pa- and I'm a pastor myself I am not going to save anyone. Jesus is the savior, no church is the savior, no no individual pastor, priest, whoever is the savior. Jesus alone is the savior. Some people say, well, I I'm getting to heaven because I I've gone to church, others I I belong to a certain denomination. Another person says, well, I'm I'm a hard working person. And I've always earned my own way, and I've and I'm going to earn my way into heaven. I, I just tell you again, you're not going to earn your way into heaven. The Bible says the wages of your sin is death, and that death is twofold: it's both physical death and spiritual eternal death. You're not going to get into heaven by your work ethic. Other people say, "Well, I, I'm an honest person, and uh, my honesty is going to get me into heaven. I've never told a lie, and I would just uh, str- <laughs> I would just strongly urge you not to say." You uh, have never told uh, a lie to say I'm, I'm I always keep my word I'm always honest. Uh, there are all kinds of ways that without even thinking about it we deceive each other. Romans chapter seventeen and verse nine says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Then God says in verse ten, I the Lord know the heart. God knows what we are and He says that we're not honest. And that's the truth in many, many ways. We, we skirt the truth. We don't tell people the truth. We, we, um, we lead them to false conclusions. Someone says, I'm getting to heaven because I've never told a lie. 
Um, I would beg to differ on that one. How about this one? I give generously to charity, or I give generously to my church, or maybe both. Maybe you helped build a hospital, or you um, you gave some um, exorbitant amount of money. And I believe in giving. I, I we, we our family has always practiced giving, and uh, it's a privilege. It's a blessing to be able to do that. But and there's none of us that are going to buy our way into heaven. We're not. That's not going to work. Someone may say, "Well, again, I, I help my fellow man. I I volunteer for the ambulance corps. I I um, I'm a fireman, and I go out and I help people." And that's a wonderful thing. I'm involved in the Volunteer Ambulance Corps in my community. Um, I'm not trained like many others are. I'm just a driver. But someone's got to drive the ambulance. And, and when it's my shift and a call goes out, I'm, I'm privileged to, to be involved in that. Um, but I'm not going to heaven based upon my helping of my fellow man or my church attendance or the denomination that I belong to. None of that is going to save me. Now, when you are in the category of those who think that you can somehow earn your way into heaven, then you you often fall into this category as well. Matter of fact, I would submit that without realizing it, you always do, and that is you trust in yourself that you're righteous and you tend to despise other people. Now, what do I mean by that? Because that's what he says here. He spoke to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Well, you know, there's different people around us, and this is why we think we're going to heaven. I mean, I don't think most of us don't believe that God is going to let everyone into heaven. I mean, what about the the uh, the person that is a mass murderer? What about the person who who has uh, done such vicious and 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 hateful acts? We, I, I don't think most of us would fall into the category of thinking that all of that is just going to be overlooked and God's going to let everyone into heaven. There would be some that might take that foolish path, but the Bible never teaches that. Matter of fact, Jesus taught that the way to heaven is narrow. He said, uh, broad is the, is the gate, uh, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in there at, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And that's right out of the Sermon on the Mount, Christ's most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. So there were people um, who are trusting that they're righteous. Well, you do tend to look down on, on people around you who you think, well, okay, they may not go, but I'm going to go to heaven. Let me just give you a few people that fit that category, people that we tend to look down on. How about people of a different political persuasion? And a lot of Christians struggle with this. I'll guarantee you that. Um, I, I am not um, going to try to convert someone politically on this broadcast. That's not my point. I would say that there are many areas in which I disagree with, with our current governor on abortion policy and things of that nature. But I thought he's done a very good job of, of, of not getting into, and during this pandemic, forcing churches to close like other uh, states have done. found out just recently that in Canada, a pastor has been jailed uh, for holding in service um, uh, service in, in, in indoor services, and California has shut their churches down for for a number of months, and uh, thank, thankfully our Supreme Court has has uh, stepped in there. I, I think we ought to obviously be careful, and we we try to do that. But um, it, it, there is a, re- a huge religious issue, religious religious freedom issue here, and so um, I recall being in, in a church and and saying. 
the basically what I just told you, and that is I don't ag- agree with our, pre- our current governor on a lot of his moral stands, but I do appreciate the fact that that in Pennsylvania they have not they've said that the the, the uh, uh, church attendance is not in our purview as a commonwealth. We're not going to get into that. You're going to have to make uh, wise decisions on your own. And um, doing that has saved the the Wolf administration a lot of grief and flack that other states have had. And so I have expressed my appreciation for that. What's fi- what I find interesting is Christian people who, even though uh, this has been something that our governor has done well, don't even want to give him credit for that. Why? Because we tend to look down on people that may come at a life from a different uh, persuasion, especially on the political arena. And yes, there are political issues that do matter. The right to, to uh, a child to life is a huge issue. And I, I don't want to underestimate that to the at all. But be careful that you don't despise people merely because they are from a different political party. How about people who are drunkards or drug addicts? And you look at them, maybe you can tell here's a person that, that um, is... is uh, publicly drunk or something you can tell is definitely um, going on where they've they've given into either drugs or alcohol and and people look at them and say to themselves something like this i would never do that and we despise that person now i think we've gone the other direction uh in in some ways too far to try to say that that uh, drug or alcohol abuse is something that is not really your fault and 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 when you say that you're really not helping that person because you're 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 although you may make them feel better in the short term what you're really telling them is since it's not your fault you can't do anything about it and that's not true god can give victory and god has given many people victory over drug and alcohol abuse and yes, it is a sin, and yes, it is something that needs to be dealt with. But God can help us, and we're not we're not uh, victims that cannot cannot um, get beyond this. But so there are many people that look down on the drunkard or the drug addict, or how about the adulterer, or how about the homosexual or the transgender person? And again, Christians can struggle with this and say, "Well, I would never be that person." Okay, you haven't made those choices. Does that mean, however, that you have the right to despise them? No, we have a right to disagree with them. We have a right to warn them that they're on the wrong path. But we do not have a right to despise them. What about a person who's even your enemy? A person, say, from uh, another country that might be uh, trying to uh, overthrow our country. And again, we, we've been in peace for a number of years here. But there was a time that, again, old the older generation would remember when communism was a huge threat in this country, a very overt threat. Uh, I think there's uh, much going on behind the scenes in this country in that regard. But, but what about that? those type of threats? Well, here's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So one of the characteristics you have to be wary of when you think you're you're good enough to get to heaven on your own righteousness is you tend not only to, to uh, be putting your faith in yourself, but you tend to despise people who uh, do not are, are, are what you think would be unrighteous compared to you. And so Jesus is specifically telling this parable to those who trust in themselves that they are righteous and despise others. And I would ask you this, are you willing, if you're in that category, to listen to what Jesus had to say? Because what he has to say is going to um, be vital if you're going to truly go to heaven one day. Now let's get the parable. 
We come to two characters in the parable. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now, um, you'll notice the two characters, the one is a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisee in Jesus' day is religiously and politically conservative. That is, he believes that the Bible is true and that it should be followed to the letter. His heritage was from those who would have been willing to die for their commitment to the God of Israel. And unlike the liberals of the day, the Sadducees, a different uh, political and religious party in Israel, the Pharisees believed in angels, they believed in miracles, they believed in the resurrection of the dead, they believed in an active God. They were um, more pro-Israel and less uh, compromised with Rome, especially um, with Rome's pagan customs. The Sadducees were far more um, liberal in their approach, although they were very strict on the matters of um, of your rules of worship at the temple, then they tended to be the ones who were less, there were less Sadducees than Pharisees, but the Sadducees tended to be um, in the upper echelon of the priests. And so they would be very um, much about strict about the worship um, order and that type of thing, but they would be much more willing to compromise with Rome and adapt some of the Greek Hellenistic culture of the day, um, and uh, and there was now a more, more practice, but throughout the Roman Empire, and so the Sadducee would not be tend to be as popular among Jesus' generation, but the Pharisees were. They were looked at as as truly godly individuals who were trying to uh, follow the God of Israel. The name Pharisee means one who is separated, and thus they had a similar heritage to many of our um, uh, fundamental Bible-believing churches of today, where they would believe that that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, and we need to stand for what's right. And all of that, by the way, is a good thing. We To, to forsake truth and just say anything goes is, is may sound good on the surface, but it is a disaster for people and for families that are affected by those people. So just like their um, theological opponents did not believe and follow the scriptures, the Sadducees really weren't as much, they did not believe in anything beyond the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, The theological liberals today don't even believe any of the scriptures to be absolutely authoritative. And uh, so the Sadducees were arguing for compromising with the culture around them, as liberal leaders uh, do today in, in religious circles. And yet the Pharisees were trying to stand uh, for the fundamentals of the day. Now, there were there are three major concepts. Let me just kind of give you to think about uh, how you handle issues. One is preference. Preference is something you may hold on to because you think it's morally right, but um, it, it's something. It's it's not so much a a big moral issue. It's maybe what works best for you uh, in your particular culture. Uh, for instance, when I when I uh, go to church as a pastor in my community, um, I wear uh, a tie. Uh, a coat um, on Sunday mornings. I don't have a priestly garment, but I do uh, dress up in, in a coat and tie. Um, now, do I do that if I was, say, over in um, uh, in, in Honduras, where my sister is and her husband are missionaries? No, I, I, they would tend to. It's a warmer climate. Uh, they In their culture, they're going to wear a tie with a, maybe a short sleeve shirt, and I'm fine with that. If I'm in Romania, in Romania, um, they tend to wear, again, a tie at least, uh, sometimes a coat on Sunday. Uh, Other places in Africa, there's no tie at all. And uh, certainly there's places in the United States where they would look at you like you had two heads. 
if you had a tie-in. So it's it, there are preferences that really aren't a moral issue at all. They're just something that that you're going to um, that you're going to what works for you in your in your situation. Now then, there's convictions. Convictions are something you hold to because it's taught in the scripture. An example of this: I'm con- con- I'm convinced by the scripture. Um, and the fact that of, of of male leadership in the church, as far as pastors and deacons, and uh, I can show you scriptures on that. And it doesn't matter what the uh, culture around us is saying; what the scriptures say are authoritative, and so we take that, and we're not worried about taking polls onto what man wants us to do. Then there's what's called doctrine. Doctrine is more serious than even a conviction. And let me give you two types. There are non-essential doctrines like a, the return of Christ, whether or not it is uh, imminent or not, is a, is a question that, that scholars will debate. I'm convinced it's imminent, um, and, but it's not something that's going to determine whether you are on your way to heaven or not. Uh, but then there are essential doctrines, such as the deity of Christ. When people deny that Jesus Christ is, in fact, God, they are, they are denying who Christ is, and they will not be in heaven one day. The doctrine of sin, to say that someone is, that, that, um, that no one is, is truly a sinner, that, that sin doesn't matter before a holy God, but to deny that doctrine is also uh, to, um, to turn people away from the truth of the gospel, and, and they're not going to come to Christ and be saved. The doctrine of God himself, who he is, the fact that there's a, what's called a, a, an open theology today, where some people are, really don't have a firm doctrine as to who God is, and again, that is something that would uh, you would not en- enter heaven, God's heaven, without knowing God personally. And so where we would, at least on our own minds, have a strong distinction from the Pharisees of Jesus' day is over this issue of tradition. The Pharisees, over time, had, had, had moved from a commitment to the Word of God as being their sacred trust and what they would hang on to, to the fact of, of, of equating with the Word of God their own uh, made-up traditions, uh, rulings that they had had over the years. And Jesus ran into that uh, very issue in Mark chapter 7, and starting with verse 1. It says, Then the Pharisees, same group, uh, and some of the scribes came together, and scribes would be uh, very similar. They're conservatives, they're studying students of the Scripture. They came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Now, again, uh, I don't know about you, but if I'm out uh, working, of course, with a pandemic, we're a lot more concerned about hand washing and with um, even sanitizing today. But there were many times where you're out and um, and you don't have a sink or whatever by you, and so you don't wash your hands as you normally would. And you may eat something, maybe it's an ice cream cone, or you went through McDonald's drive-thru, or whatever it was. Uh, the Pharisees, however, had traditions. These are not found as, as essentials in the Word of God. These were traditions that they had made up as to how to wash your hands and all kinds of things that they had done. Well, the disciples are not following that. And so the Pharisees are noticing this. Jesus' disciples are not following their traditions, and they speak up about it. For the Pharisees, I'm reading now from Mark chapter 7 again, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And by the way, there was really a racist element in that. Uh, The idea is that they might have come in contact with some Gentiles and they had to wash their hands from that impurity of being around a person 
of a different race, which is really sad, and Jesus did not follow these kind of traditions. And it made them angry, made the Pharisees angry about it. So when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is saying, you are elevating your tradition to doctrine, to something that's essential, and it's not. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. Jesus is really going after them here. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. He's saying you're actually placing your own foolish traditions above God's word itself. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. He says, for Moses said, honor your father. He's going to give an example. Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But I say, but you say, excuse me, you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, or that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such uh, uh, things you do. So Jesus is, is clearly pointing out that one of the problems of this group and their self-righteousness and their desire to, to earn their way into heaven was they started to uh, make their these traditions about what it meant to be righteous that weren't even in connection with the Word of God and actually were in opposition to it. So they ended up elevating man-made traditions over the authority of the Word of God. So the Pharisee is religiously and politically conservative. He's also known to practice high moral standards. But can I tell you that Jesus is pointing out, really, even in their self-righteousness, they weren't as righteous as they thought they were. Some of them were violating a cardinal commandment to honor their parents. My father just recently um, had a mild heart attack, and um, 85 years old, he's down in, in, in Florida. And so I had the privilege of... Um, of going down and uh, in Florida, how it's working right now during the pandemic is that only one person from the family can come into the hospital. My mom, who's who's oh, they're both eighty five, um, really didn't uh, feel like she should be the one to go in, and so um, I was I was uh, elected by the family to go in and be with my dad, and and I was really glad I was there, and it, it just makes such a difference when a loved one can be. Um, there in the room, not only for um, con- conferring with the nurses, my dad's hard of hearing, uh, but also just to try to minister to him. And what Jesus is pointing out is in their tradition, they had made up this rule that you could you could give your um, whatever um, you were going to get from uh, any any kind of physical help. We're talking about financial help that you would normally give to your parents was uh, was uh, allowed to be completely, that, that whole obligation would be forsaken because, well, I've given everything to God. 
And Christ is pointing out how wicked that practice was. And he's also showing, really in this example, how important it is for those of us who have living parents to to be there for them when they're weak and uh, when they need us. And, and, and it is a privilege to do that. And I'd encourage those of you who are, have the, that type of situation going on, uh, to, you will not regret it if you will do what God wants you to do in that regard and try to minister uh, to your parents. Um, but be that as it may, here's this man. He's very religiously conservative. He's known to have these high moral standards, or at least thought to have high moral standards. He's known for spending much time in, in worship of God, much effort. The, the Pharisees were all about that kind of stuff. Okay, so this guy, you'd think, in Jesus' society, you'd think if anybody's going to heaven, it's one of these Pharisees. That's what you'd think. Now, he gives the second guy that comes into the temple that day. He's called a publican in the King James. He's called a a tax collector. That's what he really was. And and so Jesus goes on. He says, um, um, the two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now, the publican is about the exact opposite on the uh, theological and and moral and social pole of the Pharisee. The Pharisee, again, if anybody's going to heaven, I'm thinking the Pharisee's going to go to heaven. The publican is considered a traitor. He works for the Roman Empire uh, who overtaxed the Jewish people. And so uh, the the publican is considered a traitor. They're also well-known to cheat people because they were so hated by their fellow Jews because they were working for Rome. Um, that often they overcharged um, the Jews on their taxes and and pocketed that money. The Romans would look the other way. They just wanted their own, and they wanted anybody who worked for them. And so these people were considered to be traitors. They were known to be cheating people, and they were obviously considered to be irreligious. And so here these two guys are. They both go up into the temple to pray, and then we see these two prayers. Let's notice the Pharisee's prayer first. That's what Jesus deals with first. It says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Um, he is he's, 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 he's expressing thanks. Okay, That's a good thing. He's thanking the Lord for something. But he's not thanking the Lord for what God is doing. Really, he's thanking the Lord for how good he thinks he is. And I'm sure God deserves some credit for that. He seems to be saying something along that line. But he's saying, God, I thank you. Well, what's he thankful for? I am not like other men are. And then he starts listing some of the people he despises. Listen to what he mentions. Extortioners. Well, that's a bad person. person who tries to force other people to uh, give him money because of a threat of violence or whatever. Unjust. Okay. Um, He mentions next uh, adulterers. Okay, that's a pretty bad sin too, don't you think? Or even, he catches the tax collector in his eye, or even as this tax collector. So God, I thank you that I'm not like these other bad people are. And then he starts, so you'll notice he's saying, it's the same thing that many people think about going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because I haven't done any of these really bad things. I've not extorted any money. I've not been unjust to people, try to be fair to my fellow man. I'm not committed adultery, and I am not a traitor like a tax collector or a cheat like a tax collector or irreligious like a tax collector. I'm going to heaven, first of all, because I haven't done a lot of bad things. Now, here's the second thing. He starts listing his good things that he's done. I fast twice a week. 
I give tithes of all that I possess. Now fasting, going without food and sometimes even drink for at least a day was something that was practiced widely. Uh, I was just hearing a preacher on this just uh, today. Practiced widely in that era uh, probably twice a year. Well, the Pharisee's not merely fasting twice a year. He's fasting twice a week. And he's not only giving tithes of his money. He says, I give tithes of all that I possess. And Jesus will talk about this. They even tied the spices in their cupboards. So th- if again, if you're looking at a guy who's meticulously trying to do good things, He's got the tithe that he can mention, tithing everything. He's got fasting that he can mention. And so he's saying, God, uh, I'm glad I'm a righteous person because I don't do the bad things and I do some good things. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think God was, was, um, was impressed with that prayer? Well, I think if you're thinking clearly, and a lot of times, folks, we think most clearly when we're looking at somebody else instead of our own selves. If you're thinking clearly, you're saying to yourself, that was a very prideful prayer. And you would be right on that. And one of the things that God hates more than anything else is pride. It involved looking down on other people. It involved inflating his own good deeds. Do you think that that uh, this man never did anything wrong? Well, but he doesn't seem to really deal with that, does he? Jesus talked about some of these people, some of these very same people, putting widows out of their out of their um, homes because they couldn't pay the rent. Evidently, the Pharisee owned the house. He talked about praying in public just to show off and to ask get people to think that they were more spiritual. So here this Pharisee is, and he's basically bragging on himself before God under the guise of thanking God for this. And then we see the second prayer, the publican's prayer. It's not as long as the Pharisee's prayer. But it was humble, and it's focused on one thing. Let's notice what he says. And the tax collector, standing afar off, so you'll notice he doesn't even dare come close to where the Pharisee would be standing. The temple area had uh, where the there were different courts. There was a court of the Gentiles, a court of the women, a court of the men. And the the uh, the Pharisee, I'm I'm sure he was in one of the inner courts, uh, one of the probably the court of the men. And um, would have would have been um, you know thinking that he could get close to God because again he's a good person. The the publican or the tax collector here he doesn't even want to get close. He may be worried that that uh, God would strike him dead if he got too close, or maybe he's even worried that somebody would see him and say, "Why are you in the temple? You're a traitor. You're a cheat." So he stands afar off. Notice the next thing. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. So he doesn't even look up. He doesn't even dare to look up. It's like, I don't I don't have the right to even be here. I don't have a right to raise my eyes to heaven, to talk to God. Notice the next thing he does. He beat upon his breast. That's a sign of mourning. And, and so he's convicted about his sin. He knows that there's something wrong in his life. He beats upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, you'll notice that this man is not out there making excuses for his sin. He's not trying to say, God, you know, I've done a few bad things, but, you know, I, I had a pretty rough childhood. Um, you know, I was kind of forced into what I'm doing or none of that. No excuses offered. Just, God, 
be merciful to me. Lord, and mercy's the idea of this. Don't give me what I deserve. He understands. If I get what I deserve, I'm in big trouble. And so he's saying, God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? I, I failed you repeatedly. I do not deserve your, your goodness. I'm asking for your mercy. He's asking for God to save his soul. Jesus, notice what he says next. I tell you, this man, the man that just prayed, the, 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 the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's two different results then from these two different prayers from these two different men. You notice there's a lot of this uh, setting off of, of, of sets of two here. So we had the two men, then we had the, the two prayers, then we have these two results. The two results is the publican goes down to his house, and Jesus used the word justified, and the idea simply is he's been forgiven, and he now, in the sight of God, is considered a righteous man. The Lord now says, you are righteous. That's what the idea of justified means. It doesn't just mean let off the hook. It means God has forgiven me and has made me his child and now considers me righteous. And I'll show you a passage on this in just a moment to show you what I'm talking about. On the other hand, the Pharisee does not go down to his house forgiven. Matter of fact, he didn't even think he needed to be forgiven. He goes down to his house deceived. He did not even seek forgiveness because he did not even believe he needed it. He was self-righteous and his pride had blinded his heart to the place where he thought God should be impressed with all his good works. Matter of fact, it reminds me of a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, which deals with this idea of people being blinded to the realities of, of the truth. He says, but if our gospel is veiled or it's hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. This man doesn't think he needs a savior. This man thinks he saved himself by his own goodness, by what he doesn't do and what he does do. But the, but the, but the tax collector, the guy who was the so, social outcast, the guy who was considered to be immoral by his society and by, by his fellow man, and the man who even knew himself that he was immoral, that he was a sinner, this man goes down forgiven because he sought that very thing. He asked God, would you forgive me? Now, in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul deals with this very issue of of what it means to be justified and how it happens. And so he gives a great example. If there's anybody that you would think of that might go to heaven because of being good, it would be this guy Abraham. Because Abraham was a truly godly man. He's the founder of the Jewish nation. A man that God calls the friend of God. That's what he's called. What, What a great compliment. So Paul brings him up. He says, well, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, now there's our word again. The idea of justified is being declared righteous, okay? So if Abraham is declared to be righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or put to his account for righteousness. 
Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. That's the whole problem. If you think you can earn your way into heaven by what you don't do or what you do do, what the Lord is telling you is that you are actually expecting that he owes you heaven. He doesn't owe you a thing. Instead, you have to understand what you really what is owed you is 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 God's wrath because of your sin. And you need to turn from your sin to God. Here's what the next verse says. But to him who does not work, he doesn't try to earn salvation, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. That's Jesus. He believes on Jesus who who can make us righteous. His faith is counted for righteousness. His faith is is then imputed. It's the idea of, of, of God giving his righteousness to you as a gift because simply you have believed in his son. So what are the applications from this parable? Well, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be abased by God. If you think you're going to get into heaven by being good, you're wrong. And tragically, you're going to find out that you'll be doomed for all eternity. But on the other hand, if you'll humble yourself before God, realize you can't save yourself, realize that Jesus came to save you. That's why he died on the cross. He died for your sin. That's why he he came to this earth as God's son, lived a sinless life, died for our sins so that you could be forgiven. If you come to the place where you humble yourself by God, you will be exalted. If you'll turn to Christ for salvation, he will save you. So we conclude from this. uh, Let me give you six things quickly. Number one, being religious does not save you. So if you say, well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Methodist, that's not going to save you. Secondly, being a re- very religious can actually blind you. Now, I'm not saying don't be faithful in church. I, I believe in that. I'm not saying don't give and give generously to to um, to the church, to charities, to different things that God would lead you to give to. I'm not saying that at all. We ought to do that. But don't think that that gets you into heaven. It does not. And if you think that because I, I work at a soup kitchen or I volunteer at the fire company or I'm an ambulance worker, I work in a hospital, if you think that that's somehow going to save you, you're blinded to the reality of your true need. Number three, God is not impressed by what you do and do not do. We're supposed to live godly lives. That's, that's the expectation. God is a righteous judge. And, and um, he expects that you live righteously. Number four, God is looking for you to have a humble attitude to realize you can't save yourself, to realize that Jesus is the Savior, and to put your faith in him. Number five, God is more holy than your mind or my mind can fathom. God is a righteous judge. He's holy. Do you really think you've never committed a major sin against God? You've never coveted something that didn't belong to you? Because God says don't covet. Jesus said to look on another person with lust is, is like the sin of adultery. Have you, have you committed that sin? Jesus said to hate someone is is on the on on par. It's 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 really the the, the attitude of murder, and will be judged uh, in, in that regard. God is more holy than than your mind or my mind can fathom, and God sees it all. He doesn't just see um, uh, one or two things; he sees everything. Number six, God is more merciful also than our minds can fathom, and so I'm thankful that the Lord heard this man's prayer. And yes, he did not, the, 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 the tax collector did not deserve forgiveness. But he, he, he asked God to be merciful to him, and God said, I will. I will be merciful to you. I will save you. 
And of course, now that Jesus has died on the cross, we know who the Savior is. And we can come, and we can put our faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and he will save you from your sin. And, and I'm so thankful for the day I did that. So the bottom line is this. You cannot save yourself by your own righteousness, either what you do or what you have not done. Uh, that You say, oh, I've done these wonderful things, or I haven't done things that were bad. That's not going to save you. Christ can save you by giving you his righteousness. That is the ultimate purpose of that parable. He spoke this parable to certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And boy, if we can't be there very quickly when we trust in our own righteousness. Are you putting your faith in yourself to save you or your church to save you or maybe a religious leader to save you? Or you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said you can't come to heaven but by me. Now, either he's right or he's crazy, one of the two. And I'll just tell you, he's not crazy. He's exactly right. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. And I'm so thankful for the day I did that. Um, again, as a child, I heard the message of the fact that, hey, I was a, I was a sinner that deserved hell, and I, I responded to that. And I, in very simple, childlike faith, it's not like a, some great, uh, you know, wild uh, prayer. I, I just simply, in faith, asked Jesus to do the same thing that this, this tax collector did. I asked Jesus to be merciful to me and to, and to come into my life. And he did. And if you want Christ, he will save you. Let me just give you a couple verses and I'll wrap this up. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus said this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Boy, I love that. If you'll come to me, I'll by no means cast you out. Then in John chapter uh, 10, and verse uh, 28 down to verse 30, Jesus, uh, read 27 to 30. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Will you come to Christ today and ask him to save you? The Pharisee, with all of his religious practices, things he would do and things he wouldn't do, he didn't even see the need to come to Christ, and so he never asked for salvation. And tragically, again, it's a parable, so it's not a a, a literal story. But tragically, if a guy like that lives and dies and uh, thinks he's going to heaven, he will not. He will not be with the Lord because he has rejected salvation, thinking he was good enough to to stand before God in his own righteousness. On the other hand, the publican illustrates the fact, or the tax collector illustrates the fact, that if you put your faith not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you, you can become a child of God today. And God will forgive you for all of your sins and make you his son or daughter to live with him forever. And he says, I'll never take that wonderful gift away. May God help you, if you've not been saved, to give your heart to Christ even today. If we can help you, we have an email address. You can email us. And um, I would be glad we'll, we'll, we'll call you back if you're if you're um, interested in that. If you want to let us know in that email, and be glad to talk to you personally 
um, about these issues. Father, bless these folks. I pray that you'll work in each heart. Lord, you know who you've spoken to today. And we pray that that, that, that one or those ones would, would open their hearts to Christ and stop trusting themselves or try to earn their way to heaven. Lord, they cannot. But Jesus has provided the way through simply putting their trust in him and not in themselves. Well, may they get away from the attitude of the Pharisee thinking I've got to do certain things or I can't do certain things. That's not the way to heaven. The way to heaven is to put our faith and trust in the Savior who died in our place. Pray for understanding of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. How sad that in this story, the extremely strict and religious Pharisee walked away from God's temple having never found God's forgiveness. Why is this so? Did God refuse to forgive this proud religious man? No, God certainly would have forgiven him, and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross would have been more than sufficient to cleanse him from his sins. But the man never thought to ask for God's salvation because he didn't believe he needed to be saved. This is why, though it's often difficult to discuss, God's preachers must talk about specific sins you and I commit so that we can see how far short we fall God's righteous standards. For it's only when you see that you have failed God repeatedly and deserve God's just and holy wrath against your evil conduct that you'll understand your need for a Savior and comprehend the wonder of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross for you. So if you stood before God and he were to ask you why he should let you into his heaven, the proper answer wouldn't be to brag about all the wonderful things you've done, nor would it be right to list the many sins you did not commit. In fact, your answer should not be based on your performance at all. Instead, if you're a true believer, you would say that you are not trusting yourself for salvation, but you've rested your entire hope of eternal life upon the fact that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and that you have placed your faith in him to save you. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you know someone who's shut in or otherwise unable to attend church in person, we live stream our service weekly. You can look for that service to be streaming starting in just a few moments at approximately 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. A couple months ago, we began uploading videos of our services to YouTube, so if you don't have Facebook and you'd like to view a message, you can search for Calkins Baptist Church on YouTube and you'll find the beginning of our presence there. If you prefer YouTube to Facebook, we would appreciate it if you'd hit the subscribe button as well. We would also like to invite you to attend our services in person. Service times on Sunday are 9 a.m. Sunday school for all ages, 10 a.m. morning service, and 6.30 p.m. evening service. We also have a midweek Bible study on Wednesday evening starting at 6.30 p.m. If any of you would like to share this radio message with a friend, you can find a link to our podcast on our Facebook page. Just look for a Radio Bold icon on our feed. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Christ is work of love and Christ receive for me, for me he died.